Have I got that thing right? Okay. I don't know whether to turn that button or not. I can't begin to tell you folks how much I've enjoyed being here. And I think the the theme, I guess, calling back to remembrance has meant more to me than anything. This these five days have seemed like five minutes. And I want to ask you to continue to pray for me as I move on. I have something that I wanted to read to you. It was written in 1979. It's hung on my wall in my house. It has direct significance to each of us here. Who can remember that January of 73 when from Tupelo, Mississippi, Wade McCarley came our pastor to be. A fiery young preacher, all full of vigor and vim. Oh my, was he ready to tell them. (laughs) Much to his surprise, a deaf ear many did turn. How shocking, many did not want to hear what this man had learned. Repentance, necessary for salvation, once this was revealed... Conviction by the Holy Spirit, many begin to feel. What dread when sin raised its ugly head. Needless to say, many begin to doubt, is it real? What this man must feel. Oh, what joy when salvation was wrought in many of us here tonight. I reckon God had a purpose in bringing us thus far by his might. A church of our own, glory be a house full of saints just like me. But all the pain and the lessons we've learned, flesh gets in the way when God's love is spurned. Now he sits here more mellow and meek, more rest in his soul than six years ago. Who can produce such fruits in a man? Only God can. Many of us here can truly say we love and appreciate this man molded and fashioned by the master's hand. Our prayers for him are stronger than ever. Dear Lord, guide, sustain, and protect him all through all endeavor. And I thank you for that, folks, your prayers. Thank you, Lord, that our paths did meet, and through him to us, your love you did entreat. This is not goodbye, this is not goodbye only a new beginning. And that spoke to me today, and I said I felt like I needed to read this to you. This is not goodbye, only a new beginning, another chapter in a life never ending. Wait, do you think perhaps he would stay for one more verse? Listen, whose voice is that I hear? My children, don't cause my anointed any more tears. That's entitled a tribute to Wade McCarley, our beloved pastor. That was done by Dorothy McChesney in 1979. You don't forget and I'm grateful for this, Dorothy. That's meant a lot to me over the years, and I've read it from time to time. And uh, it's reinforced me in the ministry and helped me. I'd like for you to take your Bibles tonight and go to the Gospel of Luke again in the second chapter. As you're turning to the Gospel of Luke in the second chapter, I'd like to just say that Many times we get a wrong concept of the ministry. 
More times than not, Christian people have the wrong concept of the ministry. It is this. We're behind our pastor. Pastor, you do it. And what it says is, Pastor, we look to you to be the spiritual one. We look to you to do all the work of the ministry. And we're going to sit here and watch you do it. We're going to support you. Folks, that's not the way the ministry is. This is something we really need to realize. And it is this. That not only is the pulpit, but also the pew is involved in the ministry. And we all have to be committed to the ministry. Now, one of the things that has really stuck in my heart is simply this. That one of the things that we need more than anything else on the face of the earth today in our churches are committed spiritual laymen. We need some laymen in our churches today who will take up the slack, who will become involved and be what God has separated them to be. We need to be spiritual people. We need to be anointed people. We need to have uh, uh, that effect in the community that would cause people to say there's something different. Now, I believe that many of you have that. I believe that all of us, as God's people, basically have it. We just don't exercise it. We don't operate as we should operate. If Calvary Baptist Church is to be what it is supposed to be, the ministry must be carried out not only by the pastor, but by every member of this church. Now, when every member of this church gets involved in the ministry and walking with God and doing that which God has called this church to do, then you're going to be effective to the extent that God intended for you to be effective. Your ministry is a very specific ministry set aside just for you, for this church. You don't have to worry about the church down the road. You don't have to worry about the church across the street. You don't have to worry about the church across the nation. Your responsibility is right here. Now, what we need are spiritual men in our churches today to become involved with the pastor in the ministry. Not to usurp the authority, but to follow and to do that which God has entrusted this church to do. And you get involved, and God's going to bless that. Now, I want to share with you, I believe there's some some scripture here that can really help us with that and, and cause us to realize that this is the case, folks. And, and, and what I'm trying to establish initially is this. Many people who sit in the pew feel as though they can't be spiritual like the pastor. Now, they expect the pastor to be that way. But you understand, we just can't be that way, pastor. Yes, you can. Yes, you've been called to be that way. And so you can be everything that the pastor can be in his daily walk. You cannot be the pastor... Because there's only one pastor for one church. So the pastor, as far as his position in the church, is different from the layman. But as far as the overall ministry in the church, all of us should be involved and all of us should be performing that which God has called us to perform. And as we look in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, I believe there's something that just strengthens me here and and speaks to me uh, that helps me understand that as a pastor, I am responsible to train and equip the lay people as they will be led. Now, now I established that because of this. That when the church in North Little Rock spoke to me, they said, Pastor, we need someone who can come and organize our church. Now, my answer to that was this. You have found a man who can, can organize it, provided, provided, you are willing to be organized. Now hear me, folks. 
If you're not willing to be organized, the pastor cannot do it. You must be willing to be organized. You must be willing to take the role of responsibility in certain areas to do that which needs to be done in order to glorify our Lord through our local churches. And so I established that you must be willing to be organized and then the pastor can teach, train, and equip, which is what he's been sent for, basically, to train and equip the lay people to become involved in the ministry as a whole that God might get all the honor and glory through the work of this church. All of us must be that way. Now, let's look at this just a moment, beginning with the 25th verse. And behold... And any time I see the word behold, I believe there is something very special about that. It is that you need to really look at this and how special this really is. If I could put it in another translation, it is to get a fixed, staring glaze into this truth. Listen to what he says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem, not a priest. If I could put it another way, not a preacher. If I could put it the right way, a layman. A layman. All right? And behold, there was a layman in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout. Now here's what our churches need. We need just and devout men in our fellowships. Now if I could give you the note that C.I. Schofield gives in his Bible... He refers to the Old Testament righteousness that he's speaking of here when he says just, being just, being a just man. And uh, Schofield says that the summary of this is in the Old Testament righteousness and just are English words used to translate some Hebrew words which come out this way. Upright, just, righteous. In all of these words, but one idea inheres. There's one idea being conveyed in all of these words. Listen. The righteous or just man is so called because he is right with God. And he is right with God because he has walked, quote, in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now listen. The Old Testament righteous man was not sinless Not sinless perfection, but one who for his sins resorted to the ordinances and offered in faith the required sacrifice. Now listen to me, folks. Here's what we need in our pews today. We need just and devout men. Those who have a heart turned toward obeying God. Now I want you to understand that when you come to saving faith, that when God brings you to saving faith and, and that saving faith is imparted to you to embrace, what, did you, what, what you are saying in essence in this is this, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But that's not all it says. It says that when you believe this, then it is that you yield your life your life in obedience to whatever He teaches as it's revealed to you. Therefore, if sin comes in my life and He tells me, if I confess my sin, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, then I recognize that my responsibility when sin comes in my life is to be, as your pastor said time and again, a good confessor. The best Christian on the face of the earth 
is he who is a good confessor of sin. Now that's the best Christian you can have. For folks, we are not sinless. We will sin daily. But those who are walking in a righteous state are those who when sin comes in their lives, they are willing to confess it before holy God and to be cleansed that they might stay in that right condition. That right position with him in communion. So this is what you're seeing in this man. This man, this layman, not a minister, not a priest if you put it in the Old Testament sense, but, not, but he, he is not a minister. He is a, a layman who is around the church. Now watch. Listen to what he says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the salvation of Israel, or waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the salvation of Israel. Now remember that he's walking in the ordinances. He's walking in all the commandments. As best he knows how, he is right with God. Now I want to show you the next thing about that, if that's the case. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now folks, when a man is walking right with God, when a man's heart is in tune with God, when a man is a good confessor, a believer is a good confessor, I want you to know that the Holy Ghost is with him. And I want you to know that he's with him in such a sense that when you come into his presence, you know there's something different. He's a different person. There's something about him that draws you to him. Well, does not the Scripture say that no man can come unto the Lord except the Father would send him, draw him? Now, I want to know how's he going to draw him. He's going to draw him through the preaching of the Word. He's going to draw him through the living of the Word. And when a, when a Christian is living right with God, it will draw people to the living faith. And so, folks, if we want to be real ministers... We want to be righteous with God, right with God. Now, I'm not talking about positional righteousness, but I'm talking about progressive righteousness in living in right relationship with Him and communion with Him. God will then use us to touch those around us, to draw them to us, and we have the opportunity to impart the gospel message to them. Now, let's go a step further. He's waiting for the salvation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon Him. In other words... He was, if I could put it another way, he is constantly influenced by the Holy Ghost. Now, we recognize that in the New Testament, the Holy Ghost is in us once we've come to saving faith. The Holy Ghost is always with us, but many times we're not real sensitive to the Holy Ghost and his leading. Now, to have a righteous man, uh, to have the terminology attached to us as a righteous man, it is a man who is very sensitive to to the leading of the Holy Ghost of God in our lives in conjunction with the Word. Now, I say in conjunction with the Word because the devil can come disguised as an angel of light and make you think he is the Holy Ghost when in fact he is not. Therefore, you must know what the Word says and the Holy Spirit bears witness with the Word in leading you and causing you, and as you are being sensitive to that leadership, you know it is of God and not of the devil. And therefore, you're walking in a right state with God. Now, this is the way we find Simeon. Now, I want you to notice, the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was being constantly influenced by the Holy Ghost. He loved God. He was looking for the salvation of Israel. He was committed to spiritual things. Folks, listen. Here's what it is. The priority in his life was service to his Lord. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question tonight. What is the priority in my life? 
Is it service to the Lord? Or is it service to self? Now, if it's service to the Lord, you're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when we're walking in this direction, you've heard these men many, many times say, God has strongly impressed me and shown me something from His Word. I heard Cecil. Cecil's not here with us tonight. He's having to work. But I've heard Cecil many times say, Boy, God really gave me something this past week. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he got alone in God's Word. And all of us know Cecil's not perfect. Huh? Linda, is that right? Oh, he is. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah. You you know what I'm saying. But he got along with God in the Word of God and began to study the Word of God, prayerfully looking to hear from God, and God spoke to his heart. He Now, I'm going to use this term, and you understand how I mean it. Don't misunderstand. But he revealed to Cecil spiritual truth. He became very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in directing his life. And then I'm sure he'd turn around and share it with you. Because the minute he got it, the first time he saw me, he slapped me on the back and liked to kill me. Told me God had given him something. Didn't wait for me to say, see, so what was it? He said, let me tell you about it. What's he saying? He's saying that the Spirit of God has revealed something to him. And when the Spirit of God reveals something to you, folks, it's hard to contain it. It's got to come out. You've got to share with the world what God has just done. What he's just said. Now, sometimes we're loose with the way in which we say it, and we say this. God told me this. Be very careful with that terminology. Many people misunderstand what you're saying, and you don't really mean to say what you just said. But what you're saying is, through God's Word, through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit of God on God's Word, God so impressed my spirit that it was almost as if He said it. Amen? Oh, if we'll get hold of that, we'll settle in rightly, and we can move in the right direction. Now, this is what is happening with him. Now, notice verse 26. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Folks, that's a powerful revealing, is it not? This man is desirous to see the salvation of Israel. He's burdened with it. He is a just and devout man. And he wants to see The salvation of Israel. He wants to see the one through whom salvation is going to come. That's his desire more than anything else on the face of the earth. I mean, he's just consumed with it, if I could put it another way. He is a just and devout man. Now, I want you to notice. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, I'm about to come to the place to where I believe this with all my heart. And it's being formed as a conviction, not just a strong opinion anymore. When God is ready to show you something, He's going to bring you to it. Did you know that you're here tonight because it was a divine appointment of God? And there was something that He wants to show every one of us here tonight who are here. The Scripture says that He was being brought by the Spirit to the temple. In other words, he is being constrained in his bosom to come. Now let me ask you a question. Did you sense that compelling desire tonight to come to the house of God, though tired you might be, you wanted to come to the house of God. You just felt compelled to come. You couldn't wait to get here. Now I don't know how all of you are, but let me tell you something. I can't wait for Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That's when... 
what we used to say before we got saved, it really gets on. Okay? It gets exciting. I can't wait to get back into the house of God with God's people to get around the Word of God, to be fed by the Word of God, to be uplifted and exhorted by the people of God, to leave this place floating on cloud nine. It makes all the difference in the world. Simeon, according to the Scripture, the Scripture says, he came by the Spirit into the temple. God had a circumstance established for him where he was going to show him what he would already impressed him, he was going to reveal to him before he would die. Now listen to what it says. And when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God. Son, what's happened? God has imparted to him in his spirit the knowledge that he'd get to see this. It's one thing to have the knowledge of it. It's another thing to have the reality of it. It's one thing to have the knowledge of salvation. It's another thing to have the reality of salvation. It's another thing to get a word from God in knowledge. It's another thing to get it when it's in reality. You see it come to pass. You see, folks, we're God's people. We're not of this world. We're strangers passing through. We're different. And what's made us different is the God that lives within us. And we see things differently. We walk in a different sphere. All right? Now, here's what he says. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now. Now what? Lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He said, now you've shown me what I wanted to see. Here's the one through whom salvation was going to come to Israel. But he showed him more than that. Now he said now as he saw this child and took this child and blessed that child and looked at Folks, this is, not a, this is not a minister. This is a layman that's doing this. His heart's set on the things of God. This is the thing that astounds me is he's not a minister. He's a layman. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. In other words, what he said is, I am now ready to die. I've seen what the Lord really impressed me. He's going to let me see. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go. What have I seen? Well, Simeon has found that peace in his heart. He has seen the one through whom redemption was going to come. Listen to what he says. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, not just Jews. Look closely. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Mine eyes have seen the one through whom God would save his people. Now listen to what he said. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Not just Jew, but Gentile as well. Now folks, that's a revelation. Gentile as well. Not just Jew now, but Gentile as well. Listen. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of of thy people Israel. God has impressed him in such a fashion that when he saw that child, it went beyond just the redemption or the salvation of Israel, but it went out to all people, which meant Gentiles, which includes you and me. And he said, I've seen now, it's not just for the Jew, it's for the Gentile too. Listen to what he says. Salvation is glory to Israel. 
but it's light to the Gentile. Do you remember when God broke light in your heart that Jesus was the Lord? And it's the glory to Israel. Now listen. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother. Now you put yourself, you ladies who are mothers, you empathize with Mary here just a moment and see what he says. Though Mary's not going to understand all of this right now, if you get over into the Gospel of John about the 19th chapter, you're going to find out she understood very clearly then what it was all about. Listen to what Simeon said. A layman now, not a minister, a layman. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, there's that word again, Behold, this child is set for the what? Fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Do you know what he's saying? He is saying, Mary, a divider of people. What do you mean? I mean this. That some are going to come to saving faith and some are going to reject. Some are going to love this child and some are going to hate this child with a purple passion. Now folks, that which Jesus began to do and to teach on this earth is to be completed through his church. You know what that says about Calvary Baptist Church? You are established to be a divider of people. They either come to saving faith or they reject it. And it's not your responsibility to see which way they go. It's your responsibility to declare the message. That's right. Love them all, though they hate you with a purple passion. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. The darkness can't stand the light. They can't stand it. And so what you're going to see with Calvary Baptist Church here in your ministry is you're not going to reach them all out here. But there are those out there who will come to saving faith. And your testimony is going to be established because you are, in fact, the body of Christ. And Christ is the head of this body. Therefore, you have been established for the rise and fall of many people. They were going to reject the Lord whom you love and serve. And then there are those who are going to come to saving faith and become a part. And so as you recognize your ministry and you see what you're doing and you see where you're headed, this is what he's showing us. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. Mary, your heart's going to be cut to the quick when you see your son hanging on the cross for the sins of the world. Do you see that? Let me share something with you folks. When my son, Don, went to the mission field down in Central America, some of our relatives just didn't think he ought to be down there. And some of our relatives were so concerned, they just wished he'd come home. And you know why? Because he was deprived of the conveniences that you find in this country. And they were aching so for him wrongfully so, but they were aching so for him, they wanted him to come back home and to have the life of ease. Now listen to me, folks. Isn't that the way we are with our children? We don't want them to have to struggle. We don't want them to have to go through hard times. 
We don't want them to have to go through shame and reproach. But what if God's chosen them to go that way? Who are we to stand in the way? And I want you to know that when they go that way, especially the mother, is going to be pierced through her soul with a dagger. They can't understand. And we'll do anything we can to snatch them out of it, even if it goes contrary to the will of God, if we're not careful. Did you know Mary had to stand back and watch her son hang on that cross? And watch his blood fall? And watch people mock him and laugh at him and scoff him? And I want to tell you something about that mother. Nowhere is it recorded that she jumped up and defended him. What we've got to come to realize is God is God. Lord, whatever you've called my children to, may I be willing to let you have them to do it. That's hard, folks. But didn't God say his grace was sufficient for us? I don't care what the circumstances are. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, folks, are we willing to yield? And if I put in, are we willing just to bend the knee to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you will. And accept it with our children. That's hard. But that's what God's called you to do. May I put it to you another way? Lord, whatever your will is for Calvary Baptist Church, I yield. Let us love you and worship you, no matter what comes. Let us yield in obedience to you. That's not easy, folks. But that's what God's called us to. And that's where we have to yield. My, if we see this truth, and I want you to understand something. The man that's talking about all this is walking with God. This is a righteous man before God. And God's impressed his heart. God's revealed the truth to him here. And now that man is turning around and telling the parents. And the parents are yielding in obedience to the truth that he's speaking. Would to God every layperson in the church would yield to the obedience of the word that the pastors preach to them. And obey it. Walk in it. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary's mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Against. That ought to ring in our ears. Against. Against. I really believe we have a wrong concept of the ministry today. I can remember when God was dealing with me about preaching. I looked at my pastor, who was a pastor at that time of First Baptist Church in Tupelo, and I'd see him there, and he was in a nice suit, had on a white shirt, a nice tie. He was smiling, and he was going down the aisle shaking hands with all the people there being great friends. And I thought, man, that looks like a real life. But I finally got there. And I found out that what I saw on the surface wasn't necessarily what was under the surface because the devil's crowd wants to cut your throat. And you'll be misunderstood misinterpreted, you'll be, uh, you, you will be what they will call one who confuses. I still remember from Barton. I taught you folks how to speak in tongues. You remember that? Man sat right outside the church and heard me do that. And he went all over the community to tell him, I was down there teaching Barton Church how to speak in tongues. Now for those of you who don't know me, 
That's a lie straight out of the pits of hell, folks. Okay? But it was spread all over town. I was being falsely accused of something. Folks, it's got to come. But you don't have to stand up and defend yourself. I had a pastor friend tell me one time, Pastor, don't go around trying to put out all the foxfires. If you do, you'll never get the work done. You can't worry about all the foxfires. You've got to go on, keep your eyes set on Jesus, and do what you've been called to do to His honor and His glory. And folks, that's where we've got to be as a church today. We've got to keep our eyes set on Jesus moving in that direction. We need some righteous laymen in the church to know how to get in touch with God, to, to get into the battle, the warfare that's there. And, and, and I want you to understand, this is young, middle-aged, and old alike. Now, I want to show you something about that as we move one step further. Now, I'm going to close with you. All right? Looking in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years. How old does that make her? Hmm? Over a hundred years old. Eighty-four there, but from her husband's death, which departed not from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, I want to tell you something, and, and, and you may see it, and you may not see it. Betty Hill is one of the greatest blessings in this church. If the vast majority of us had the physical affliction that she has to live with, we wouldn't be here tonight. God put Betty on my heart before I came to this meeting. And the witness that she is and the testimony that she is. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. I've never seen her do anything but smile. And I remember when all the problems started back at Barton. I remember when she first came to me to talk to me about what she was faced with. And I've not seen Betty forsake the Lord yet. Now, I'm not trying to tell you she's over 100 years of age, all right? Don't you misunderstand me. But here's something I want you to see. Folks, God's using that affliction in order for His glory to be manifested through that lady. And I want you to know the people that come in contact with Betty don't forget Betty and her witness. And I want you to know if you're not careful, you'll begin to take this for granted and every one of you who make up Calvary Baptist Church ought to do everything within your heart to minister to Betty for she's ministering to the Lord. Just by being here. Thank God for a lady like Betty, folks. What a blessing that is. Now here's a, here's a lady here named Anna, who approximately 100 years of age or older, and I want you to know something about that. And what I'm trying to get across to you is this. Folks, don't ever think you get too old where you can't be involved in the ministry. Don't ever think you get so old you can't be involved in the ministry. Now I've heard this told me time and time again. Well, preacher... I've done served now these 65 years and I'm going to step aside and let the young folks take over now. How foolish. I remember sitting at a table with Brother Ray eating lunch one day with that lazy Susan in the center in Nathan's home there. And Brother Paul was sitting over by me and he turned to Brother Ray and he said, Brother Ray, it's about time for you to retire, isn't it? You're going to step down just so you can go fishing? You know, Brother Ray. <clears throat> yeah. There ain't no such thing as retirement. I'll preach till Jesus comes. And folks, he did, didn't he? 
he even preached while he was laying flat on his back. For a nurse that was tending to him got saved while he just laid there. Hey, where do we get this? We can quit because we got old. There's no place for that in the Scriptures. But there's something else that I really want you to see here. Betty, with her afflictions, can't get out and do all of the mobile work that has to be done and moving around and going up doors, knocking on doors, visiting people and all this. She's not able physically to do that, but you know what she can do? Pray. Pray. Now, what I start this series out with, with this church, the most important thing in all of this ministry, if you're going to be what God wants you to be, you've got to be a people of prayer. And if you're not going to be a praying people, folks, you're not going to be effective, not to the extent that God intended for you to be effective. You've got to be a praying people. And here it was. There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God. Served God. How did she serve God? With fastings and prayers night and day. Night and day praying. I don't care who you are. Whether you're a young person, there's a place of service. Whether you're middle-aged, there's a place of service. Or whether you're an elderly person, there's a place of service in the church. There's a place God wants to use you and do not depart from the temple. Betty's here at every service. And us middle-aged kids think we're really struggling because we got a headache and can't make the service. Isn't that tragic? There's the inspiration and the testimony. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. One day when we get in glory, I believe the Lord Jesus just bring Betty up and say, Now, this was Betty in your church. You remember her? She never missed. What happened to you? The elderly people of this church are the older members of this church are the inspirations for the younger. And when you get to where you can't do it with physical strength, you do it in prayer and fasting, praying. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Tomorrow, I'll be going to North Little Rock. But I can assure you of one thing with no reservation in my heart. Betty Hill be praying for me. I don't have any reservation about that. And I want you to know something. I'll never forget Betty. She's an inspiration. She's committed. She's in service to the Lord. Just like all of us ought to be. Amen. Committed to serving the Lord in whatever capacity God opens up for us. Well, I'm just waiting for God to strike me with a bolt of lightning and what to do. Bless God, if the door opened and put in front of you, walk through it. Serve. Amen. Just serve. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Folks, nobody sealed her lips to share the Redeemer was coming. Now listen to me. I don't care whether you're young, middle-aged, or old, you can share the gospel message. I don't care whether you're young, middle-aged, or old, there's some place of service for you. And what we need to do in order to be what God wants us to be is to get on with the task at hand in serving the Lord. And what our churches need today, more than anything else on the face of the earth, are some good Godly, committed lay people. And the work will get done. Amen. Brother Charles.